This morning's reading is from the book of Jonah, uh, chapter 3, verse 10 through 4, chapter 4, verse 11. You can find this on page 775 in the Pew Bible or in the following Jesus Bible on page 965 and 966. Then God saw what the people of Nineveh did, how they turned from their evil way. God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to Yahweh and said, O Yahweh, is not this what I said when I was in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Yahweh, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And Yahweh said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see, till he should see what became of the city. Now Yahweh God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from, the, from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And Yahweh said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night? And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. So if you have small children, uh, first grade and under, if they'll line up at the door, uh, Miss Brittany and Miss Savannah will be taking them over to the children's um, building for worship. If you're a visitor and you'd like to have your children go over there, please go with your children so that they can get signed in and you can get signed in. So this... This morning, it's my pleasure to welcome uh, Reverend Corey Duncan as our minister this morning. Uh, Corey is the associate pastor for congregational care and missions at Ocean Springs uh, Presbyterian Church in Ocean Springs, Mississippi. I had one uh, distinct honor uh, connecting with with Corey a few years ago when Hurricane Lily uh, occurred, uh, the presbytery put out a call for people to go and volunteer and go and do some work. And so I signed up, and Corey was our fearless leader. 
So if you can imagine, he was jumping up and down on top of roofs and spreading blue tarps and doing all kinds of things. But I really encourage you, this is a, this is a man who not only lives his faith, but he shares it with people, and he does it. So, Corey, thank you for joining us this morning. Y'all maybe should wait till after I preach to do that. You never know. <laughs> I've said before when I've been here that it's the job of the visiting pastor to either be long or boring. So you'll be glad to have Jason back. So the, the key is not to be both. So one or the other, I'm going to work on it. Uh, but I am super excited to be here. I love this church. I really do. I've been able to preach here a number of times. And Jason is one of my favorite guys in, in Presbytery, right behind Henry. No, I'm just kidding. I was just joking with Henry about how everyone in Presbytery knows Henry. But uh, Jason is a great guy. Jason and I hang out frequently at Presbytery meetings. Um, I am so pleased that you guys uh, get to uh, sit under his preaching and teaching. He's smooth, isn't he? I was, I'm always impressed with how smooth he is. I, I won't be that smooth, but uh, the Lord will be the same Lord, and the Holy Spirit will be the one that seals this to our hearts and minds. So let me uh, just ask you to pray for me as I pray for you all. Lord, Lord, take these words and preach them to my own heart. And out of the overflow of what you've taught me, Lord, I pray these people will receive it as well. And that you would draw us in and lift us up to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Divine appointment. You've heard that phrase before, divine appointment. It's a phrase that I've come to really enjoy and appreciate. I'm not sure exactly when I first used that term or heard that term, but I think it was at a youth conference many years ago when a fellow was preaching and teaching from the story of Jonah. And uh, it, was, uh, it was interesting to me because I thought I knew the story of Jonah. I mean, most people think they know the story of Jonah. It's a very familiar character, but it's a very small book. In fact, I bet many of you had a hard time finding it. Not in the Pew Bible because he gave you the page number, but if you were looking for it in your own Bible, you can flip right by it because it may, usually only takes up one page or two, depending on how large your print is. But there's very few chapters in the Bible, I think, that are as neglected as the fourth chapter of Jonah. I mean, there's a lot of chapters that no one ever reads. I get that. But in terms of stories we know, because most of us know the story of Jonah. And yet I suspect that many of you, some of you at least, had never heard the fourth chapter until it was read just now. And if you were following along, you were probably thinking, what is going on here? It's a very interesting chapter. It's a very interesting book. In fact, I would say that if you think the book of Jonah is about Jonah and the well, then you don't know the book of Jonah. And it's because you haven't read the fourth chapter, which really actually nails it down for us. So this part we know. We know that God tells Jonah to go preach to the city of Nineveh. But Jonah instead gets in a boat and heads the opposite direction. And a storm comes up and the sailors are afraid. And Jonah says, throw me overboard and you'll be saved. And they do. They throw Jonah over, and he is swallowed by a giant fish. And there, alive in the belly of the fish, Jonah cries out to God. He repents. The fish spits him out on shore. Jonah obeys. He goes and preaches to the people of Nineveh who repent and turn to God. That's a great story. It really is a great story. But it's not the story. It's not the story of the book of Jonah. And really, the very first verse in the, whole, in the book should clue us in that there is more going on here than just the plot. There's more going on than just the plot. Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, saying, Arise, 
go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against them, for their evil has come up before me. Now I'm telling you, that should clue us in that there's something else going on here. Because why would God send a prophet to a pagan city? That's not what prophets do. Prophets speak the word of God to God's people. Why would he send them to, to a place like Nineveh? I mean, the Assyrians, my goodness. I mean, God often speaks a, a condemnation on the people who are enemies of Israel, but he speaks that in Israel to Israelis, right, to, to God's people. Here he is sending his prophet to a place like Assyria, this violent and vile culture. If I was to read to you some of the cruelty that Assyria, not only were they known for, they inscribed in the walls the cruelty that they carried out towards people. You, in, in the old ruins of, of Assyrian ruins, you can see it. They're proud of it. And they were particularly cruel to, uh, to the children of Israel. And so how could God ask Jonah to go and share his word with them? They were like the, the terrorist cabal of the ancient Near East. Why would God send him there? That's not what prophets do. What's the logic of it? It didn't, didn't make any sense to him. Tim Keller said it, was like, it would be like telling a Jewish rabbi in 1941 to go stand in the streets of Berlin calling the Nazis to repentance. That's a good analogy. Jonah doubted the goodness, the wisdom, and the justice of God. I guess we can connect with that a little bit because when we can't see a good reason for God's will, don't we tend to just assume there isn't one? If we can't see the good reason for God's will, we tend to think that there isn't one. I mean, think of the, all the way from the very first sin, the sin in the garden. God said, do not eat. But it looked good. And it seemed to be good for gaining wisdom. Can't, can't really see a good reason not to eat. So there must not be a good reason not to eat, right? And same here with Jonah. Because Jonah, Jonah is he's stuck here, okay? He's stuck. This... This, what God has told him to do makes no sense whatsoever. Maybe we've been, been stuck before. We get, we, 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 we get that notice that we've been laid off from work. What? Whoa. Why? Why me? What are you up to, God? I've got a family. i got debt. We get the biopsy report back. When this person that we are just convinced is clearly the one for me is with someone else. When the country I love is looking nothing like what it used to look like. Like I'm living in the new world with an old soul, if you know what I'm saying. Right? It's ain't right. When our sweet, sweet child that we have poured our heart and soul to for so long starts rebelling. What? When my, my, my loved ones, my, my, my mom, my dad, my spouse, when a child passes away, what is the sense of this? Why? There's no good in this. There's no justice in this. Now, Jonah, Jonah was stuck. He was stuck because he simply didn't like what God was up to. He had two big problems with God. One... One, what God had told him to do didn't make any sense. But two, he knew God. He knew God was God and that God does things in a certain way. And he didn't like what he knew God was going to do. 
He didn't like it. There's, there's, there's not a crisis of belief with Jonah here, okay? There's a, tr- there's a crisis of trust, okay? And most of us, I mean, like, we, we, most of us wouldn't be here today if we, if we didn't believe. Most, there may be some folks who are just visiting that we're not even sure why they're here. But I'm assuming most of us believe in God here. And we don't generally have a, tr- a crisis of belief, but I, I suspect we all have moments of, of, of trust issues with God. Hard to trust God. And Jonah here tells God in chapter 4, verse 2, Jonah says, the reason I ran is because, and this is so cool, because if we were just to ask a random person why Jonah ran, the answer is usually going to be, well, he was afraid of the Ninevites. Right? He didn't want to go be around those vile and violent people. And that's why he ran. And that makes sense if all we have is a vacation Bible school understanding of Jonah. But the chapter 4, he tells us why he ran. <laughs> he said, this is why I ran. Because I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Well, my goodness. That, that sounds like a good thing, right? Don't we want God to be all that? Jonah, Jonah didn't have a theology problem. He knew his theology. Jonah didn't think God should be gracious and merciful to the folks of Assyria. People like Assyrians, come on. God should be angry with them. I mean, come on. He should, he should not relent from disaster. He instead should be in haste to bring disaster upon them. God, you can't be good and merciful to them. Not them. God, I don't want mercy. I want justice. Why, why can't you just be who I want you to be, God? Right? Man, we might can connect with that. The more you watch the news, man... The truth is, though, no one truly wants justice. I mean, we want justice to them, but we don't want true justice because true justice would come back on us, too. So we don't really want justice. We want vengeance. And so he ran. He ran. But why did he run? Now think about that. Why run? Why not just not go? I mean, the, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Why didn't he just not tell anyone? And just not go. Why did he run also? He, I think Jonah ran because, one, he was a true believer. He knew God. And he knew that if God calls, he could not not obey. And he had this crisis. He was in turmoil over the, but being torn between the should do and the want to do it. He just, I think he just kind of panicked. And I'm just, I just, do something else, anything else, just something opposite, not that. If he says east, I'm going west. Nothing rational about it. He just wanted to do something, anything. The most not that I can come up with, that's what I'm going to do. Instead. It's, it's just rebellion. In a panic, he rebels. It's irrational. It's rash. It may even be a willful spiritual deception he's engaging in. But I'll just tell myself I can run away, and I will. I think that's. I think we do this too. We. I think we all of us at times find ourselves engaged in that which we know is not God's will, but we just oh, it's all right. I'll get away with it because it makes 
sense to us in the moment to have this instead of God's will. It's very irrational. It really is. I mean, it's not rational to think that God is holy and I can get away with a little tax evasion here and there, right? That's not rational, right? A little bit of skimming there, a little bit of fudging the numbers there. I mean, because I mean, I, it's my money I, and I need it. And everyone else is doing it, right? So why not? I mean, God is holy, of course, but he doesn't care about my honesty, does he? He's holy, but I mean, it's not rational to think that God doesn't care if I flirt with that customer or with that coworker, right? That's, I mean, but you got to understand, it's, it's, that's just the office culture. I mean, that's just the way it is around the. I mean, and it's just the way the work. That's the way you get the job done, you see. And you know, the truth is, she she just makes me feel good about myself, and I need to feel good about myself when I'm at work because it's so competitive and, and high pressure and. And the truth is, he's, he, he's just different, though. He's different. God, God's holy, but he doesn't care about my purity, does he? Right? I mean, God is holy. God is holy, but, but you know, if I only occasionally show up at worship with my family, that's all right. I mean, it's not going to negatively impact my spiritual maturity or, or my children's, will it? Right? And so some of you with young children, just wait, right? Because I got to tell you, youth sports is a valuable tool for developing leadership and, and leadership potential. And man, and college scholarships and all of that is out there, right? And it doesn't, I mean, doesn't God want me to spend time with my family anyway? And that, shoot, man, this weather, it's getting pretty nice. It's cooling down. And be honest with you, I worship God on that water, right? When I'm in the boat, that is where I connect with God, right? And God is holy, I, I, I guess, but it doesn't care. He doesn't care about my participation in, in his holy worship, right? I mean, name your sin, okay? That's the thing. When pastors start trying to name sin examples, the truth is, I sit there doing this, right? I sit there going, well, as long as he doesn't name mine, I'll be okay, <laughs> right? Well, so, so let the Holy Spirit be your preacher today. You name your sin. Let the Holy Spirit preach it to you. As long as my sin is not named, no, the, the Lord's got you. Because we all have these besetting sins, right? We all have our blind spots, right? Wherever your plans and God's plans aren't lining up, right? The story of Jonah is a story of a man that often finds himself frustrated with God's will. And it's the story about God who continues to pursue a man like that. It's the story of a man who is often frustrated with God's will. And it's the story of God who pursues a man like that. Because look at what our sweet Lord does here. In all the vast cosmos, the Lord reaches down to a very specific spot right there in the Mediterranean Sea and blows. Chapter 1, verse 4, the Lord hurled. You see the active hand of the Lord here. The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. All right, so of course, now Jonah, he knows what's up because he's a believer. He knows. He knows what's happening here. God's here for me. Throw me over. I should have known I couldn't run. And so they, they throw him over. The rebel. The rebel who is loved by God. And you know he's loved by God here because, again, in the vastness of the ocean, 200 million square miles of water out there that a great fish could wander around in. But at this moment, at this particular time, that fish is right there. And God chooses one to be right there. 
Here's what the sweet Lord does. Jonah 1.17, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Jonah has a divine appointment with a fish. Jonah, in his rebellion, in his terror, in his finally despairing capitulation, the truth is it's all God. It's all God in pursuit of him. Just imagine him down there in the belly of the fish, right? It's dark, it's wet, it's smelly, but he's alive. And what else can you do but look to the Lord at that point? Truly nowhere else to look. So Jonah repents, the Lord relents, the fish regurgitates, Jonah's on his way to Nineveh, obeying, he's fixed. All good, right? Maybe, <laughs> maybe you've been there before too. You come through a tough spot, you're bruised, but now you're focused. Right now you got it. Now it's me and Jesus, man. I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm, gonna, I'm going to be who God wants me to be. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been there only to discover, guess what? I'm still broken. I'm still a mess. And Jonah goes to Nineveh. He preaches the word. We're told, we're told that Nineveh at that time was so large that it would take three days to walk through it. <clears throat> but Jonah, after only one day of, of, of calling people to the Lord, the people are repenting. The people of Nineveh start to believe in God. They, they, in fact, from the king all the way down, they call for a great national fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the very least of these. Look at in Jonah 3, verse 7. This is the decree of the king. All right, he says, By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Even, even the, the herds and the flock are going to have to fast. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. National repentance. This is fantastic, right? I mean, this is great. That's what we're all looking for. Repentance, the lost turning to God. Sinners turning to God and finding forgiveness. That sounds great-ish. What about Hitler? <laughs> the Hitler card is what you always pull, right? So, but okay, what about Putin then? All right. Oh, what about uh, what about Biden or Trump, whichever side you're on? What about the Clintons or the Bushes? Or what about ISIS or ISIL, whatever they're calling themselves now? What about Antifa? What about what about what about that former boss? That former competitor? What about what about that former relationship? <clears throat> Maybe that family member even that you don't talk to anymore. That person who hurt me so deeply. Do I really want them to turn to God and find forgiveness? Or do I want I call it justice, but what I mean is vengeance. Poor Jonah. Jonah, it turns out, he was still so, so broken. God relented. He did not pour out disaster on the Ninevites, just as he had relented with Jonah while he was in the belly of the fish. But Jonah can't see it. He doesn't see it. Jonah 4, verse 3, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. <laughs> Jonah. It's like, this, it's like one, one last Hail Mary here, like, right? 
He's like, oh, if you're going to pour out your wrath on if you're not going to pour out your wrath on them, then just, then just take me. Maybe if I give God this ultimatum, he'll, he'll, he'll relent. Kind of silly, giving God an ultimatum. Man, really though, that's his plan. Do what I want or take my life. Does he really think God can be manipulated so easily? We, we've probably been there too. Or maybe, or maybe it's true. Maybe he really doesn't want to live. Maybe he really thinks that if, 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 if Israel can't be the only people of God, then I don't want to live. He's just blind. He's just absolutely blind because of, you ready for it? Racism. We've got to talk about racism again, right? We've talked about racism a lot for the years, but that's what's going on here partly. And you know how we know it? All the O Lords or the Yahwehs, right? All the, he's, he's using Yahweh's covenant name here that's supposedly only for his covenant people. So he's invoking this covenant name of Yahweh because, right, he's saying, hey, Yahweh, remember me, remember us, the ones who are supposed to be special to you. It wasn't these heathens that you gave that name to. It was us. There's one problem with Jonah is that he thinks so much of himself. He thinks so much of himself. Why would God, out of all the people in the world who die every day, be moved by Jonah's desire to die? Really, Jonah? I mean, people die all the time. You think you asking to die is going to move God? What an arrogant dude. But, but, and yet it does. It does move God. Why? Well, God is moved to compassion for this broken man. In verse 4, God says, Jonah, do you do well to be angry? What a gentle and soft but spot-on rebuke. Do you do well to be angry? Jonah, how, how's that anger working for you? Right? I mean, wouldn't it be great if God would just whisper that into our hearts sometimes? How, how's that anger working for you? Is, that, is, it, is it fixing everything? Really? Is that resentment? Right? Is that, is that, yeah. Is that working for you, man? Oh, what a sweet, what a sweet God we have. Jonah can't answer that, though, because he's just consumed in his anger, in his regret, in his offense, in his injustice, in his racism. He goes up on a hill outside the city. He just sits down, waits, watching, hoping that God somehow, some way, will love me a little more than he loves those vermin down there. <laughs> the story of Jonah is a story of a man that often finds himself frustrated with God and a story about God who continues to pursue a man like that or a woman like that. Look at what our sweet Lord does. In all the vast cosmos where a tiny seed could be, <laughs> a tiny seed found itself right there on that spot, on that very spot where Jonah is sitting there moping. Chapter 4, verse 6, Then the Lord God appointed a plant, an appointed plant, and made it come up over Jonah. That's impressive. I'm thinking it's kudzu. What else grows that fast, right? So a little pointed kudzu. That it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. Jonah, you have a divine appointment with a plant. Such a sweet Lord. Such an unexpected blessing. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Or was he? Was it really the plant? Was, it, was, he, was he glad to have this loving gift from the Lord? Or was he just glad because of the shade? Right? 
I mean, think of the things that we feel blessed in life to have. Is it really that we feel blessed or do we just like the stuff? There's, a, there's hyperbole here. Of course, he should be grateful to God. Clearly, a plant that grows up overnight to give you shade is a supernatural gift from God. He should have been grateful, as we should be grateful for all the little things in life. Okay, so personally, I tend to curse the live oaks in my yard when the leaves are falling. I have a metal roof. Can you imagine what it sounds like when the acorns are falling? Right? I feel like I'm, nah, I'm going to go there. I don't want to call anyone to have flashbacks. But, yeah, so it's, it's terrible. I cursed this tree, but guess what? Think about how hot it's been. Can you imagine what my power bill would be like without those leaves over there all summer? Think of what I have in life that I would not be able to afford because of how much higher my power bill would have been every single month for the last six years I've lived there because of those leaves. We, we tend to forget to count our blessings until they're gone. And then we regret their being gone. John 4, 7. When dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm. <laughs> I love it. Jonah has a divine appointment with a worm now. This appointed worm. Of all the worms in the world, God appointed one to be right there at this spot at this time to feast on some kudzu salad. This worm attacked the plant and it withered. In all the vast cosmos again, God reaches down to a specific spot in, in the deserts of Iraq, I mean, you, you understand, uh, he's probably where modern-day Mosul is. Some, maybe some folks here have been to Mosul. It wasn't all that much fun. But God, in his sweet, sweet love for Jonah, reaches down again into that vast desert to this specific spot, and once again, he blows. Verse 8, when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, a divine appointment with the wind now. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. A storm, a fish, a plant, a worm, a wind. How many times do we miss all of these sweet, sweet blessings from God? And many, many other divine appointments that our sweet Lord is, is using to pursue us as we run from Him. To pursue us as we're drowning in fear. To pursue us as we mope to pursue us as we bask ungratefully in the shelter of His divine protection, to pursue us as we slowly come to grips with the understanding that we are starting to find our pleasures in the things that are passing away, pursuing us. But again, Jonah, <laughs> he, he, just, he responds to it in his, in his immaturity, asking again that God just take his life. He says, it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord says, our sweet, patient Lord says, do you do well to be angry over the plant? And Jonah says, yes, yes, I do. I do angry enough to die. Wow. And this is the prophet of God. What, what is it that perhaps we love more than God? Because that's what Jonah was exposing. There is something he loved more than God. What is it, though, for us that we, if we can't have it, if we can't have it, life, I mean, I'm saying we ain't worth living, but life ain't much if we can't have it. Or what is it that if we do have it, if I do have it, then I'm going to be okay, whatever it is. Maybe it's safety, right? As long as I'm safe, as long as I have my family safe, 
I'm going to be all right, but Lord, if I don't feel safe, if I don't feel like my kids are safe, right? <laughs> right that, I mean, is that not in our nature? We need that safety. We need to feel safe. We need to feel like I have some control in this situation. And Lord, if we get out of control, if we lose control, well, maybe it's financial security. Maybe we, we're going to put all our energies and efforts into making sure I am financially secure and my family is secure. And if I don't have that, I ain't right. Maybe it's a particular pastime or a hobby as long as I can get out there on the golf course every so often, as long as I can have my soaps, whatever it is. <laughs> the soaps. Does anybody watch soaps anymore? That's a flashback. If it's health, maybe it's just health. Oh, we have our health. Maybe it's a friend or a particular group of friends. If, if I lose that, I'm a mess. Younger folks may understand that better. Maybe it's the success of my political ideals, right? And maybe that's why everyone's so frustrated right now because it seems like no one's political ideals are, are, are winning. It's all a mess. Maybe it's knowledge. As long as I know I'm not being duped, as long as I have that inside information, I'm going to feel all right. I know a thing. Whatever it is, that without it I have very little peace. Is it that which I love more than God? Sounds like at least it's something I need more than God. Or at least it feels like I need it more than God. God Jonah loved Israel more than he loved God. And if Israel's enemies would not be judged, life just wasn't worth it. The story of Jonah... It's the story of a man that often finds himself frustrated with God's will. And it's the story of God who pursues a man or a woman like that. What a sweet Lord we have. To bear with great patience the vile and violent excesses of 120,000 heathens from Nineveh. For all those years, he bear with them in all their violence so that at this moment... So at this moment, he could show Jonah something about himself. Now, he had other reasons, too. But one of the reasons God did not bring judgment on the Ninevites in all their vileness for all those years is because he was going to have a moment with Jonah sitting up on the hill, giving Jonah a chance to learn just how deeply loved he is by God, by a God who can deeply love in this moment. Here's what God says. Here's what Yahweh says to Jonah, verse 10. You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their left hand from their right? Why should I not pity them? <laughs> and also much cattle. I think that's a trip, too. <laughs> Shouldn't I pity the cattle? You pity, that word pity there, the New American Standard, some of you may have that one, says, um, it says that you have compassion for the plant. Um, that may be a better translation. Uh, Tim Keller, again, he breaks up that, the Hebrew, that word, he says it's a, it actually means you have grief over it, you have a, your heart is broken over it. Uh, you may even say you weep over it, you weep over it the lord says to jonah you weep for your loss of shade i weep for 120,000 souls who are just lost man they're lost and it breaks my heart for them 
I weep over them. Jonah, I even weep over their cattle, which, which if I had done what you wanted, that cattle would have been collateral damage, right? They would have been wiped out too. Jonah, I weep for the broken like you. Right? The Lord weeps for the broken like you. I mean, Jonah, you understand, if I can have compassion on these wicked Ninevites, think of how much compassion I have for you. I love you, and I'm patient with you. My compassion for these broken Ninevites, the great depth of compassion that allows me not only to stay my hand of justice, but also grieves my heart for their lack of love, right? Both of that, Jonah, it's the same heartbroken and deeply compassionate personal love that I have for anyone who is broken. And it will not cease to pursue you. Jonah, I'm after you. Now make sure you understand this, okay? Now there's a distinction in God's love for us versus the love that we tend to have, all right? Because in, in our life, when, when things meet our needs, we have many needs in life, and what we tend to do is we attach our feelings to that which meets those needs, right? That's okay. That's a, a duck on. He's, he's dressed for it, too. How about that? Um, yeah, so we tend to uh, attach our feelings towards whatever it is that meets our needs, right? We're very careful, very, uh, we care very deeply about the things that meet our needs. But God needs nothing. What does God need? God needs nothing. He doesn't long. He doesn't crave. He is fully, infinitely complete. He is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in His being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. So if God has such a deep and weeping love for you, it can only be because he voluntarily chooses to have that love for you. Much like the story of Hosea, if you know that story, God voluntarily, with absolutely no cause other than his own will, chooses to invest his deep love and compassion on us. The God who has more depth to be compassionate then anything you can imagine has placed that compassion on you. He says in Hosea eleven eight, How can I give you up? How can I hand you over? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. The Almighty God, Creator of the universe, infinite, loves you with an ever-growing and deepening warm and tender compassion. He's pursuing you. When you walk out those doors this morning and you feel the warmth of that Louisiana sun on your face and then you walk into the shade of the live oaks and you feel the, the contrast between the sun and the shade, divine appointments. Divine appointments. Those are divine appointments where God is reminding you that He loves you, that He's pursuing you, and He will not let you go. The, the heart, the, the heat and the shade are divine appointments from God. They're love letters from a God that is pursuing His beloved. And when you feel the loss and the brokenness of life, when you're lonely, when you're scared, when you're, when you're filled with regret or doubt or disappointment, the Lord Jesus, Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear Your sweet voice even in all of that. Give us hearts that beat with the rhythm of your own. Lord, let us, 
live into these divine appointments with your love. The story of Jonah, the story of Corey, the story of every Tom, Mary, Jenny, Chris, whoever here today, every man or woman, is the story of someone who often finds himself frustrated with God's will. And it's the story about God who pursues someone like that. Christ has been in pursuit of you. Christ is still in pursuit of you and me. And, we, and he went so far as to the divine appointment with the cross so that he would never have to lose you. When the wrath of God was poured out on Christ instead of you and me, it was by divine appointment. So that the cup of wrath has become now for us the cup of grace that we drink. Believe in this. Trust in Christ. Trust in a Christ who loves you, who has compassion for you, and he will not stop pursuing you. And this cross and this, this meal reminds us of that. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus, we have an idea of what love is because we feel it. We have maybe even felt it from someone else. And it's amazing. And, and, and those who have had it and lost it, oh, the pain. It's, it's, oh, it tears you up. And maybe those who haven't had it and wondered and longed for it. Lord, there's something real in that because you've designed us to experience it and feel it without the, the, the restraints of sin in the way. Lord, that is our design, and so our soul's DNA long for it, and you have poured it out on us, as the cross reminds us. And Lord, there's a day coming, and our hope can only be in that day when, when, all, when every tear is wiped away, when all that is broken is healed, and we experience and live into the fullness of that love. Lord, give us our hope in that and not in the, the, the wasting away plants of this world that are going to be eaten by worms. Lord, give us our hope only in you. And Lord, in the meantime, help us to trust and believe and lean in to your ever-pursuing compassion and love for us. Lord, we pray that you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts ready to be transformed, minds molded and shaped by your wisdom. Lord, we pray for this in the strong, strong name of Jesus. Amen.